Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we focus on the inaugural edition of the African Football League, which starts this weekend after two years of speculation about how it will work and if it will happen. This after the European version was scrapped after an outcry. Also, we speak to Nigeria winger Samuel Chukweze, who moved from Villarreal to AC Milan in Italy in June. For me to sign there, I think the fans, the fans actually made me to sign to sign for Milan because they gave me that confidence and everything. As coming later, and the English Premier League back this weekend. Stuart looks ahead to the weekend's games. So lots on the show today. First, a quick word about the international friendlies that played over the international break.、Uh, no competitive matches for the African teams. Lots of friendlies as the sides get ready for next month's World Cup qualifiers. Algeria drew one-one with Egypt. A tough game that seemed to be more than just a friendly. Egypt ending with ten men. Islam Slimani with a stoppage time equaliser for Algeria.、Uh, Ghana played two games in the USA and they lost them both. A cause for concern、uh, for their. Coach Chris Hughton going down two nil to Mexico and four nil to the USA. And Nigeria played two games in Portugal. They drew two two with Saudi Arabia and one three two against Mozambique. So the inaugural edition of the African Football League is here. We've been talking about it over the past two years on the show. This, after the European version was scrapped after an outcry. Well, FIFA then focused on what was at the time called the African Super League, and there have been so many questions about how it will work. There's been criticism about the purpose of the competition and how it will be funded. Well, it's here. The quarterfinals are on over two legs、uh, this weekend up to next Wednesday, with two main sponsors. That's Visit Saudi and Visit Rwanda, both who came at a、uh, very late notice. Simba of Tanzania play Al Ahly of Egypt. TP Mazembe of DR Congo meet Esperance of Tunisia. It's Enyimba of Nigeria against Widad Casablanca of Morocco, and Petro Atletico of Angola host Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa. We do still have the CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup. Both of those competitions are well underway, so this is an additional competition.、Uh, so much criticism about it, Ida, but it is here and it's happening. Indeed, it is, Steve. It was supposed to be a 2014 CAF Super League, but they settled for this eight-team rebranded version to get things going. And with the new main sponsor, Visit Saudi, which is the public agency in charge of promoting tourism in the kingdom. So yes, CAF has certainly made things happen, albeit not in the initial way it had set out. But it does have plans of expanding after this first edition. As for prize money, well, it will be four million dollars for the winner. The runners-up will get three million. The semi-finalists one point seven million, and the quarter-finalists nine hundred thousand dollars. Now, all these amounts are greater than what's on offer in the CAF Champions League. So, an incentive there. As for huge broadcasting deals, it's a negative, at least for this first edition. Now, the matches will be streamed on the AFL website. 
as well as the YouTube page. And it certainly will be very interesting to observe that. Yeah, so there's lots to do for future editions. And Ida, who exactly is running the African Football League? It's not run directly by CAF and it's seen as a pet project of FIFA president Gianni Infantino. Uh, FIFA has been working in partnership with CAF, but uh, who's running it exactly? Well, Steve, for any CAF-related events, one has always been pointed in the direction of Cairo, you know, where the CAF headquarters is. But in the case of the AFL, it's a bit different. You see, the Africa Football League headquarter is in Kigali, Rwanda, which already tells you that this is a separate entity in a way. And this is corroborated by the AFL website, which mentions an African Football League Limited as the body running the competition, meaning that this is a registered private company. Now, the website makes sure to emphasize the body's independence and says that it, and I quote, assumes responsibility for the establishment, operation, and administration of the competition, end of quote. So, Steve, a simplistic answer as to who runs the AFL, well, the AFL Limited does. <laughs> but in terms of the corporate structure or shareholders, well, that's anybody's guess, really. And the rumor mill has been rife with speculation. Even connecting former sports rights entrepreneurs in Africa to being at the helm of the company. And with the headquarters in Rwanda, well, it then makes sense that the Rwandan government came on board last minute as a sponsor of the inaugural edition. The Visit Rwanda badge, which has become synonymous with the likes of Arsenal and PSG, well, it will now be visible on player jerseys and in the stadiums during this first edition. Steve, it's no surprise by now. I mean, we've talked about CAF's vagueness in releasing information on new projects pretty much on a weekly basis. They did that with the AFL. They're still doing it. And they're doing it now with a new club association that we recently talked about. So, as I said, absolutely no surprise there. So plenty of mystery there. And the choice of the eight teams was bound to result in much debate. Uh, some big names have missed out. Uh, some clubs seem to be there because of their following rather than their current performance. Uh, Enyemba of Nigeria went out in the first round of this season's CAF Champions League. And uh, who would you say would be the favourites to win it, uh, Ida? Well, the North Africans have totally dominated the last few years, Steve. Egypt's Al-Ali, wedded Morocco, well, they met in the last two CAF Champions League finals, winning one each. So I would say that we will see much of that in the AFL and that they'll definitely be the teams to beat. The Sundowns will also want to put up a good showing considering that the club belongs to CAF President Motsepe, who has been, you know, quite the strong proponent of the AFL. Though it's been quite some drama with the South African Premiership, you know, first banning the sundowns from taking part, citing fixture congestion, and then U-turning on that decision. Now, it would have been a huge embarrassment to not have the South African Giants in the maiden edition. But Steve, the fixture congestion is a sentiment shared by many. Al-Ali coach Marcel Koller, well, he talked about the same thing uh, 
bearing in mind the international window as well. And there's still some confusion, you know, surrounding the participation of clubs like Angola's Petro Atletico. I mean, they were suspended last month for two years by the Angolan Football Federation for match fixing. So there's is a question of will they or won't they be taking part? Steve, you've mentioned the debate that the choice of eight teams drew. And just to remind the listeners of CAF's reasoning behind the selection, they broke it down into regions. The Southeast region has the Sundowns from South Africa, Angola's Petro Atletico and Tanzania's Simba Sports Club. The Central West region is represented by Nigeria's Enyimba and the DRC's TP Mazembe, while the North has Weeded Casablanca of Morocco and Esperance of Tunisia as well, of course, as Al-Ali of Egypt. Now, there was speculation that different teams, or why, rather, different teams didn't make it. I'll give you one, for example. Um, that Guinea's Horoya, and not Nigeria's Inyimba, should have been included. But that would have meant two Central African clubs represented with no West African club in. So that was the logic from CAF. And separately, Steve, drama in Congo with reports that broadcast equipment had been blocked from entering the country, with TP Mazembe's home match moved to neighboring Tanzania as a result. Well, looks like we're in for an eventful weekend as the African Football League kicks off. Thanks very much, Ida. Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. What do you think about the African Football League? The inaugural edition starting this weekend. Eight teams taking part in a knockout format. Hopes to make it much bigger next season. We have been talking about it for the past two years after the European version was scrapped after an outcry. FIFA then focused on what at the time was called the African Super League. Uh, So what do you think about the competition? Are you interested? Will you be following it? As Ida says, they can only be watched online as it stands at the moment. You can go to our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, and post a comment there. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What do you think about the African Football League? Are you interested? And uh, we'd love to hear your views on this one. Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our interview with the skillful Nigeria winger Samuel Chukweze, who moved from Villarreal in Spain to AC Milan in Italy in June, ahead of the start of this season for around $25 million. He's the latest Nigerian Rossoneri, with Taribo West having shone at AC Milan in years gone by. What Chukweze spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji. I think it's a great opportunity and it's a privilege to play in that kind of big team. But there's some great players that have won Ballon d'Or and so many fantastic players that, that I've seen when I, the first time I went to the, to the city and to the city center and everything, I think I saw so many Ballon d'Ors <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was fantastic. It was an amazing feeling to be there and to know that there is some great players that have achieved great things in the club. And I think for me, in this age playing in Milan, I think it's, it's a fantastic move for me. The notable name that played for AC Milan in Nigeria, in Nigeria that played there, 
has the same air as yours, Taribo West. <laughs> you know that? <laughs> yeah, the last, when I wanted to say, they told me I was Nigeria, one of the Nigerians, but I said, who? They, they said you had this kind of mind. I said, who? They said, <laughs> they said it's Taribo West. I said, yeah, yeah, I know he played. And, um, Odua Madi and, and, um, Taiwo also. So they play in the similar. So I said, I ah, we have so many Nigerians, so I'm the fourth person that's going to play in Nigeria. <laughs> Milan. So we just laugh about it, but they're actually a nice club and a fantastic environment also. Mm. And the coach and everybody there and the players there are so amazing. For me to sign there, I think the fans, the fans actually makes me to sign, in, to sign for Milan because they gave me that confidence and everything because they were disturbing me on my timeline and everything. So I think, and I, the most, and the second part that makes me to sign because I actually talked to the coach and he told me what's the plan and everything that, what he wanted me to do, why they needed me. So that's why I signed for the club. But the most important thing, before you sign for any club, you have to talk to the coach. The first thing is for the coach to want is, his program, you understand, and the fans also actually want it. So you have two people. You have two people that want it in a club. So that means it's very fantastic. I've been to the Ceramica where you used to play in Villarreal. I see the fans. I see the stadium. The pressure, but the pressure of Milan is completely different. You know. Yeah, the pressure of Milan is actually different because. They are crazy. They love football, you know. You know, Milan. They are crazy and they love football and they are fantastic. Even when I played in San Siro, I think it was an amazing feeling, bro. The, the way they were screaming, <laughs> <laughs> the, way the, the way they were screaming and everything, and the song they were singing and everything. I think they have they have different songs for each player. So I think they are amazing. The fans are amazing. Um, I think uh, playing in that kind of stadium in that mm-hmm. atmosphere, I think it's a fantastic and uh, it's good. You must be looking forward to playing against your roommates, Napoli, when you go to Naples to play against Osime. <laughs> yeah, I'll be waiting for that moment, but I can't wait to play against him. I think I'll kill their left back. That's <laughs> the most important thing about We'll see how it goes, but football is not about much. Mm-hmm. You know, they are a good side also, and they, are, they have a great team. So I think... Um, we'll give them a good fight because they are the defending champions also. <laughs> uh, every time I speak to you, you talk about God and the importance of Jesus Christ in your life, how your mom used to pray for you. I mean, you remember that video that went viral of your mom praying? Um, you've been through a lot, um, somewhere in your short career, you know, injury, you know, sometimes and all of that. What role does Jesus Christ play in your career? Thank you. If not for God, I think I would not be where I am today because He's the beginning of everything and I know he will finish it for me also. Because before I start everything, I put God first. Because if not for God, I think I will not be here. Started from under 17, going back to Nigeria with clutches and everything, injury and everything. Still I make it to the World Cup with under 17. So I think if God, if God, if you are destined for this and God is already behind you, I think have to put him first because if someone have actually passed through all these just clutches, go through surgeries and everything and still keep him and still playing in this kind of situation, mm-hmm. I think you have to put God first and my mom actually put God first for me because before every game I used to call my mom because she have to pray for me. That's his, that, that's, that's his work for the moment. I think she's, she's a fantastic woman and she believes in God. So if you have a mom that actually prays for you. Although I don't know how to pray, <laughs> to pray like that, but mm. yeah, I know that I have a mom that pray for me, that always watch my back. You understand when you have that kind of person, you don't, you don't need to, when he reminds that you have to put God first. You know, having a mom like that, 
that always pray for you and told you, you mm-hmm. have to put God first. I think you don't need to joke with that. You don't need to joke with that moment and everything. I think that's why I put God for because God has been wonderful from, from making everything from me debuting from my 18 years. The first team and everything, you know, it's very hard to see a player mm-hmm. spent to Africa due to the beach from 18 years mm-hmm. playing in the highest level, playing in Europa, Champions League and everything. But I think if not for God, I think all these things will not come true. Speaking about his football and his Christian faith, that's Nigeria and AC Milan winger Samuel Chukweze speaking to Oluwashina Okaleji. He mentioned there the mouth-watering fixture between AC Milan and Victor Osimhen's Napoli. That's on next weekend, but unfortunately, looks like Chukweze is going to miss that game as he got injured during the international break and could be out for a month with a hamstring injury. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart, on lessons from the ongoing extended Rugby World Cup and Cricket World Cups and what's expected from a bigger FIFA World Cup in 2026. You can follow us on X at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. Uh, to get the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked, what do you think about the Africa Cup of Nations draw? Uh, The draw for the 2023 AFCON was made last week with Senegal, Cameroon and Guinea all in Group C. Egypt and Ghana are together in Group B, while Tunisia, Mali and South Africa are drawn in Group E. Uh, Group F also looks tough with Morocco, DR Congo and Mali. So we asked, what do you think about the draw and which one would you say is the group of death? Let's start in the host nation, Ivory Coast. Uh, Eiffel and Dree says that with the 10 West African teams for this cup, you can be sure that West Africa will take it. Uh, Delaine Schweinsteiger says Group C for me is the group of death. Uh, also saying the same thing is Balong Baji and the Gambia. And saying with so many ambitious players, uh, Group C is the group of death. It's where my beloved Gambia is. Despite this, we'll switch on and play with pride and passion, says Balong. Along. Also in the Gambia, Sideko Suno says a very interesting uh, draw, especially Group C. That's the group of death with the Senegambia derby, but the Scorpions will make it out of this group, says Sideko. We're not afraid of any team in Africa. Our venom is very dangerous for our opponents. Uh, then in Ghana, Ake Bate says, I'm looking at a final between Ghana and Ivory Coast with Ghana winning 2-1 after extra time. So already looking ahead to the knockout stage and the climax of the tournament is Ake there. Also in Ghana, Emmanuel Kwame SL says Ghana will win all of their games throughout the tournament. And we had a couple of Zambia fans getting in touch, including Christopher Mulenga saying, go Zambia, go. And we heard two from Cape Verde, a better silver, saying a Cape Verde will do it. Thanks very much to everybody who got in touch. Always great to hear from you. And we'll be building up to the Africa Cup of Nations finals over the course of the next few weeks here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Tournament is on in January and February of 2024. Now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And after the international break, the English Premier League is back. Big games include Liverpool against Everton, the Merseyside derby. Also a London derby too, with Chelsea against Arsenal, Stuart. 
We're back to the Premier League action this weekend after an unwelcome international break. I mean, really, Steve, two international breaks already in the season is too much. Yes, what is the game of the weekend? You could say the Merseyside Derby, Liverpool at home to Everton, but Everton are just above the relegation zone, so it's hard to see that as being anything other than a one-sided game. And similarly, Chelsea at home to Arsenal, certainly a fixture of the season, London Derby, Arsenal equal top of the league, but Chelsea have already lost three times this season, and they're in the bottom half of the table. So, frankly, it'd be surprising if Arsenal didn't win. Well, what about Manchester City at home to Brighton, third against sixth? That looks a fascinating game. With things so tight, a Brighton win could actually move them above City. League leaders Tottenham are away to Fulham, but not until Monday. Bottom of the table, we have Bournemouth at home to Wolves, and Bournemouth have yet to win this season. Wolves were one of my tips for relegation, but they're just coming off a win against Manchester City. Confusing season. Luton away to Nottingham Forest, Burnley away to Brentford, Sheffield United host Manchester United. So frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if none of the bottom five picked up any points. And then, Steve, Tuesday and Wednesday, back to Champions League action. Bring it on. Yes, absolutely. And, um, Stuart, uh, we saw the retirement uh, of Eden Hazard uh, a couple of weeks ago at the age of 32. Uh, What's your reflections on his career? A brilliant career with Lille and especially Chelsea, where he played 245 league games in seven seasons and was part of that dominant Chelsea team, winning the Premier League twice, both domestic cups and a Europa League twice. He made 133 appearances for Belgium, part of the so-called Golden Generation, the team that reached the 2018 World Cup semi-final. But honestly, with the players they had, I think they should have won the World Cup either in 2014 or 2018. When Hazard left Chelsea in 2019 to join Real Madrid for well over $100 million, aged 28, it should have been the start of the best period of his career. But in four seasons in Madrid, he was constantly injured. Apparently, he played in pain in every game he did play. And I read one telling statistic that Jude Bellingham has scored more goals for Real Madrid in his eight weeks than Hazard managed in four years. At Real Madrid, apparently, Hazard was unavailable for 95 games through injury. In 2019, in a Champions League game against PSG, he received a kick on the foot which cracked a bone which effectively never recovered and that's why he played with pain. A very skillful ball player. He was fouled in the Premier League apparently 638 times, always among the most fouled players and again that must have taken his toll on his body. In my opinion, at one stage he was the best player in the world, a truly magnificent player but you'd have to look back on his career as an underachievement to be fair, largely due to his body letting him down. I read that he had a year to go on his contract, but he retired, offering to cancel the contract and to take a reduced salary by 50% in his final season. A player whose off-the-field conduct matched his immense talent on it. I am grateful to have seen him, but disappointed not to have seen more of them in the years which should have been his prime. 
Yeah, there's much more you feel that uh, Hazard uh, could have uh, achieved. Now we've got uh, FIFA World Cup qualifiers uh, starting in Africa next month uh, for uh, 2026. Uh, we've got two World Cups in progress uh, right now, Stuart. The Cricket World Cup in India, uh, the Rugby World Cup in France. Um, what are your observations there? Well, Steve, with no Premier League games to watch, what am I supposed to do except watch Cricket and Rugby World Cups? And as you say, it's interesting to compare. The last Football World Cup in Qatar had 32 teams and lasted 28 days. Unfortunately, we know that the 2026 FIFA World Cup will have 48 teams and last 50 days. Now, the Cricket World Cup in India, 10 teams, but the structure is crazy. Each team plays every other team, and that's 45 games, but not to determine who wins the World Cup but merely to determine who goes into the semi-finals. The team that wins the league against the other nine is surely the best team in the world, but they can then lose in the semi-final. There are very few spectators, except when India is playing, but that doesn't seem to matter since the whole thing is financed, not by spectators, but by sponsorship and television. And the Rugby World Cup, in France, last time there were 16 teams, but this time there are 20. 20 teams in four groups of five. Well, I mean, that's stupid to start with, because you always have one team not playing in each round of fixtures. And the event lasts for 50 days. None of the teams that have been added are good enough, with some of them losing 96 nil. That's equivalent to about 14 nil in football. And seven of the eight teams reaching the quarterfinal were totally predictable. The only shock being Fiji beating Australia. But it took 40 games to confirm that those teams should reach the last eight. The problem with the Cricket and Rugby World Cup is that so few of the games have been really competitive or significant before the last stage. And I fear extending the Football World Cup from 28 days to 50, will create the same problem. I understand the excitement that 48 gives an additional 16 countries the chance to be in the World Cup, and it will be interesting to see how many of those additional 16 countries actually make it out of the group stage. But the real problem is what it does to the tournament. Who wants to watch a World Cup which lasts 50 days? And what about players' energy levels? Going into a World Cup after a long season, and don't get me started on the 2026 World Cup in Canada, USA and Mexico, meaning that fans will have to travel several thousand kilometres between matches. But nobody seems to get the structure of the World Cup right. Yeah, lessons uh, from the rugby and the cricket World Cups and uh, certainly questions about the uh, 2026 uh, FIFA World Cup. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? We're having European Championship qualifiers uh, this last week, and Portugal won twice, with a fellow called Cristiano Ronaldo scoring four goals in the two games. It seems that neither age nor playing low-level Saudi football has done him any harm. England beat Italy 3-1, a great result, with two goals from Harry Kane and one from Marcus Rashford. But what bemused me is that England's two centre-backs were John Stones and Harry Maguire with Calvin Phillips in front of them. 
That's two Manchester City players and a Manchester United player. But the three players between them have managed to start one Premier League game this season. Can't get near club side, but good enough for England. Now, Scotland have qualified for the final stages of the European Championship next year, but they almost didn't. Oh, Steve, you'll love this. It's a VAR story. Scotland went to play Spain and Seville, needed not to lose. They played brilliantly and they got a free kick almost on the goal line, just like a corner except a bit further in. Scott McTominay, uh, who had scored two goals for Manchester United just the previous weekend, took the free kick. Well, obviously, from that angle, he had to cross it. But no, McTominay hit the ball with spin and dip so it had dropped in at the far post with the goalkeeper not moving. Brilliant piece of skill, great goal, but inevitably VAR decided that a Scottish player who didn't touch the ball was standing in front of the goalkeeper and and therefore had fouled the goalkeeper. Later, VAR apparently changed it to say that his foot was in an offside position, even though he didn't touch the ball. It was certainly not a clear and obvious error, and the on-field referee gave the goal. One journalist wrote, it was as if VAR was looking for a reason to disallow the goal. A brilliant piece of skill by McTominay, wiped out by overzealous officials. Sorry to moan. But um, Spain beat Norway a few days later, which meant that Scotland were confirmed in second place and on their way to the finals in Germany. Right, well, well worth looking at that Scott McTominay goal. It certainly was uh, a brilliant one from him. Thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Stuart Weir and from Ida Waringa, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.